She's passionate about helping you become the best mama you can be and is pulling back the curtain on experts' advice for every area of our lives, from eating for wellness, the best advice for littles, fashion and style, and everything in between. Get ready to get real. This is Not Your Mama's Podcast with your host, Christina Franci. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Not Your Mama's Podcast. The title of this episode is Transform Your Demons Into Dreams. In this episode, we are speaking with Ellen Elizabeth, who is an infertility warrior and recovery advocate who uses her skills as an author and sober mother of twins to coach women struggling with feelings and shame and inadequacy. These mothers feel powerless to quit drinking or unable to bring a child into the world. Through radical honesty and recovery principles, Ellen inspires moms and their partners in all forms to define who they want to be and transform their demons into dreams. Ellen, it is such an honor to have you on. I'm really excited to talk about this topic because I think it is kind of a little bit of a plague hanging over like the women of feeling inadequate or... Uh, not able to reach their goals if they're struggling with sobriety, et cetera. But before we dive into today's topic, can you give a little bit more about your background and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I hope the listeners really enjoy our conversation. So um, obviously through my intro, you can kind of tell that Um, I've struggled with addictions. I've struggled with infertility and now I'm a sober mother of twins. So I've been through quite the journey. It started with addiction as a teenager. Um, I met a boyfriend whom I did not know was a drug addict when we met, but he quickly introduced me to hard drugs. And because I was in love with him and I thought I was supposed to do everything for him and please him and he was my first love. So I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I jumped right into all of that with him and essentially was dropping out of college and just focusing on getting high all the time. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I would have to end that relationship in order to get away from that lifestyle. And that fear of actually doing that held me back for several years. So I was just in that spiral and finally was able to break up with him. And I quit all the drugs, but then I replaced it with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So that began my journey into that addiction. And that was about 12 years that I struggled with that. And it just, as most people know, um, addiction and alcoholism is a progressive disease. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. And some people have to reach multiple rock bottoms, or they just know they're on their way to a rock bottom. For me, I think I had several rock bottoms. And then I finally just was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. So the thing that kind of got me thinking that I should probably quit was the fact that my husband and I were trying to get pregnant and we were unable to naturally. So we started doing the fertility treatments. Mm -hmm. And even during that time, I was drinking heavily every day and hiding vodka everywhere and lying about how much I was drinking. And even when, um, they call it the TWW, the two week wait, Uh, when that was, you know, the possibility of being pregnant and then you wait to find out 
if it worked, I was still chugging alcohol and even knowing that I could possibly be pregnant. So that was eye opening. And I was actually terrified of getting pregnant, even though that's all I had been hoping for, because I knew I wouldn't be able to quit drinking. And I was scared that, you know, the baby would have health issues or be taken away from me. Um, And even then I still wasn't ready to quit. So we went through several months of still trying. And I definitely believe that, you know, the universe made it so that it didn't happen because it knew I wasn't ready. Um, And there were just more and more incidences that were happening that were negative and life-threatening. And I finally reached the point where I was like, this can't go on. And even though we were trying to get pregnant, we were on the brink of divorce and everything was just chaos. And, um, I did finally ask for help and I went to a rehab facility and got sober. And so that kind of started my recovery journey. And through that journey, I did stay sober for, I think it was eight or nine months before we started trying the, the treatments again. Mm-hmm. I kind of had to prove to myself and to others that, you know, I was serious about this because so many people go to treatment the statistics are so miserably depressing. So many people just go right back to their old lifestyle. And um, I needed to prove that I could do it for a little bit. Um, So we did end up doing IVF and now we have twins who are three and a half. And so I've been able to um, mother without drinking and try to be as present as possible. And granted, not everything is easy peasy because kids are hard. Yeah. No. <laughs> and you um, got, you got double trouble, you know what exactly. I mean? You at one time, it wasn't like one and then you ease into a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just like, boom, here you go. And luckily I don't know any better. So it's just normal for me to have two at the same time. Yeah. No, it's a blessing. So, it's, I think it's so cool when people have twins. It is fun. It's a really, and they have such a cool bond and yeah. it's just really fun to see them, you know, be best friends and have each other. They still share a room. I mean, they're still pretty young, but they're, if they are separated, there's like, where's Noah? Where's Bella? Like, why aren't we together? Um, <laughs> so it's, it's been quite the journey. I could go into tons more stories and details, but I know we don't have tons of time, but that's the gist of everything. And I've been in a recovery program now for five and a half, almost six years. Well, that's awesome. I know that it is so hard to overcome addictions. I've seen so many people in my life close to me struggling with addictions and, you know, some have succeeded, some have failed. And like you said, like they may have a couple of rock bottoms before they actually realize like their soul calling to them. Like you can't be living like this anymore. And, you know, a little something about me, like I used to smoke weed a lot. And I, that was my addiction. And then sometimes when I would try to stop smoking weed, I would like be drinking a little bit more, but there was something inside of me that was like, you need to stop. Like my soul like was crying inside and, you know, I made that decision to give myself the gift of sobriety Mm -hmm. and, um, it has been like the best thing ever for me and, um, like I can do it, you know, I can live life and be sober. I don't need to have a head change all the time. 
And even though like there's that addiction to that head change, um, it's, we could do it without it. Right. (laughs) And it's really hard. I mean, honestly, I think addiction is like one of the hardest things to overcome. And so with that being said, like, how can we transform this demon into creating dreams for ourselves? Absolutely. First of all, I want to say congrats. It's so amazing that you're vulnerable and honest about all of that, which is why I love talking about this topic because you find so many others that can relate to it. Um, so for me, my demons obviously led me to who I am today, which is hard for some people to wrap their heads around. Like I am grateful that I went through all of those terrible things because it was such a learning process. And now I know more about myself. So really it's a self, um, self-healing journey and you have to accept your demons and forgive yourself most of all. And that in itself, you know, starts the transformation. So for me, it's still, you know, I consider my, my babies my dreams, but I have, you know, so many other dreams that I'm trying to achieve, um, that, you know, doesn't come easily, but for me, it was accepting the fact that I had these demons, that it was part of me, that it wasn't going to go away and that I needed to better myself in order to get to where I am today. So it's just a lot of self-reflection and acceptance and forgiveness. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to forgive themselves. We beat ourselves up all the time. And one of the things that I really love to do, and it's been reminded uh, a lot in my recent weeks is mirror therapy. I don't know if you've heard of that, looking Mm -hmm. in the mirror and just saying that you love yourself, you know, you're sorry that you put yourself through these things, but we're going to get through it together because when you look at yourself, the eyes are the windows to the soul and you're going to cry. You're going to feel silly. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel empowered, but it's really a great transformational tool because we don't talk to ourselves enough. Well, we do in our heads and we're we're going crazy in our heads, but to really look at ourselves and, and, and Mm -hmm. talk to ourselves, like we're talking to like our best friend going through issues, you know? So, I mean, I think that's a great type of transformational tool to use for forgiveness for yourself mm-hmm. and yeah. not have that shame because right. there's, there's so many things that like, you know, I could be ashamed for in my past as, as well as I'm sure anyone else like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Right. You know, like, oh my God, what was I thinking? And sometimes like those things can keep us up at night. And to be able to, you know, shift that perspective is, you know, sometimes hard. So like, what are some things women can do now to change their perspective? Good question. So for me, it took, I did do mirror work. I actually have a book called mirror work and I think it's Louise Hay who wrote it. Correct. Um, that is such a powerful tool. And I do, you know, when I'm dealing with mom guilt or panic, you know, kids being panicked and freaking out, I just kind of take a break and look in the mirror and say, I love you. It's okay. Um, but as far as changing perspective, it's a lot of it. It's being mindful, first of all, of your thoughts. And I do talk to myself all the time, but it's usually like, 
ugh, that was the wrong thing to do. Or why did you do it that way? Or, you know, guilting and shaming myself. So once you notice those negative thoughts, try to say, you know, a few positive things in their place. Um, and that's still hard for me. It's a constant, you know, I notice it's happening. Usually it's after it's happened. And then I'm like, oh, okay, let's, you know, I do a gratitude list every morning. And even if I'm struggling and negative and like, well, there's, I don't know what I'm grateful for. It's like, well, I have a car and I have a roof and I have food. It's just like the easiest things to be grateful for, to remember, you know, what you're working for. Um, yeah. And I think one of the big things, uh, what you're saying is notice what you're noticing. I think that's yeah. the first step to, um, changing the perspective is like even noticing that you're saying something negative. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's helpful for me to have like-minded people around me and people who understand what I've been going through. Um, you know, my husband has been with me through my whole, you know, we used to drink together when we were younger and then he saw me get worse and worse. And, and now he's just like, you're, being too hard on yourself or, you know, why don't you think of the positives and just even having other people remind you is helpful, but it is really the first step is just having that little seed planted, knowing that maybe I am being too hard on myself and then switching the thought. And a thing I also remember is, you know, I try to think of that, the child I used to be and how would I respond to that person? Would I say you're a failure? You're always messing up. You're doing the wrong things. No, I would say it's okay. We all mess up sometimes and you're still doing great and we love you. You know, just, I want to talk to myself the way I would talk to that little girl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it all kind of stems from our childhood, right? The stupid boys we date when we're younger <laughs> or like just, you know, parents issues, whatever it is, like a lot of work I think has to stem from, you know, going back to that little girl or that little boy and just giving them a hug and letting them know that like everything's okay. And look at where you are going in your future and, you know, mistakes happen. It's all a part of learning and growing. Right. Exactly. And I do, I practice yoga and sometimes the teacher is like, we're just going to end by hugging ourselves. And I'm like, well, this is silly, but it's actually really important. Um, yeah. So. Some of these things are silly, but they really work. You know, once you get past like, okay, I'm going to like hug myself, like they do work. And sometimes people think it's phony baloney, but it really works. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Hey friends, I hope you are enjoying this week's episode of Not Your Mama's Podcast. This podcast would not be possible if it wasn't for the support of you, my wonderful community. To support your mama's podcast, please click the support link right down below and you can donate just as little as 99 cents. Also, follow me in the Shop Like to Know It app where you can follow me with all my exclusive content all the way from baby products I love, fashion and style, and everything in between. Now let's get back to the episode. So, you know, kind of going back, you know, I kind of mentioned like we wake up like in the middle of the night or like, I can't believe we did that. Or, you know, we're feeling shameful for our decisions or we're having like inadequacy thoughts. Like, 
how can we deal with that? For me, I, I've already said a few of the things that I do Mm -hmm. that are positive and I do, you know, a journaling, um, process every day. That's just kind of like a, a dump of all my emotions, uh, just free writing, getting it out. And when I read back on it, I see all of the places that I'm struggling and then I can, you know, they do, they usually are like my negative places where I feel inadequate. And then I can focus on those and say, you know, tomorrow, like tomorrow, I'm not going to feel inadequate about how I react to the children, or I'm not going to feel shame about how I react to the children. I'm going to try to pause when I'm agitated and, you know, take breaths. And so for me, it's a lot of, again, self-reflection. I do different things. I, a lot of what gets me through is I do have a program of recovery. So I do, you know, the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I do a lot of like spiritual growth type things and work a strong program, which in my opinion, I think like everyone could benefit from, you know, certain things in recovery programs. Mm -hmm. I don't think you necessarily have to be an addict to still learn about yourself in these ways. Um, but there's such powerful tools in just all of these practices and programs that I'm working for myself that I find that they really, you know, switch my, my thinking and my feelings. Yeah. So is your program just focused on like alcohol or can like, what about someone? I know that there's like pill problems, like people popping pills and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. do you think that the program can go hand in hand with like any type of addiction? I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they also have tons of programs for, they have like narcotics anonymous and cocaine's anonymous and meth anonymous and, you know, all the things if you want to specifically get to that substance on its own. But I believe that these pro, I mean, there's even just recovery principles. You don't have to identify as an addict or an alcoholic. There's just groups out there where you can meet people that are sober curious or just kind of want to cut out certain things in their life and need a little help. So there's, you know, always a stigma around addiction and, you know, the, I mean, so many people are like, oh, AA, you know, sounds like a cult to me. And, um, you know, that's totally okay. There's other things besides just one specific program. Yeah. There's you. Right. <laughs> people like me too. Yeah. Absolutely. You can do one-on-one more like personal and like have someone to hold them accountable and exactly. you know, teach them the ways and, you know, you're experienced in it. So you definitely be able to, you know, have so much knowledge to share and, and some insight. So, um, so yeah, I love that. I love that. Like you are helping empower women for sobriety and just moving forward in their dreams and their goals. So I have four questions I ask all my first time guests, and I would love to know your answers. And my first question is who and what inspires you? For me, it's a lot of different right now, just because I'm in a recovery program. The people that have like 50 years sobriety are so inspiring to me. 
there's not, you know, one specific person. Um, but even someone who has one day of sobriety is an inspiration just because I know how hard it is and just what people have gone through in order to get to that point. Um, I just try to surround myself with people like that so that I know it's possible. Cause sometimes it's so easy to be like, well, it's been almost six years. I can have a glass of wine and I'll be fine. Um, and then, you know, that's never the answer. Cause it just starts back in the spiral. Yeah. It's just like so, Pringles. once you pop, you just can't stop. That's, yep, that's my exactly. motto. It's like, if I take like a, like a hit of weed, it's like Pringles. Once I pop, like, I'm kind of like, I, I have to like adjust myself back onto the track or like right. alcohol, you know, it's like, once you pop, it's like, there's one glass of wine, two glasses of wine, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just, it's like, almost like you just can't do it at all. Right. Yeah. It's like, if I do the one glass, it'll turn into the bottle of vodka, which turns into the Coke and turns into just yeah. a blackout <laughs> of a month. So. Yeah. But real quick, like, so what do you suggest? Like someone's trying to be sober, like, Mm -hmm. what do you suggest that they do to, you know, to change the mind? Like their minds racing and like, oh my God, I really want that drink. I really want that hit. I really want yada, yada, yada. You fill in the blank. Like how can someone distract themselves? Like what's a good way to just try not to do it when your mind's telling you to do it? So it's all about breaking the habit, which is incredibly difficult mm-hmm. for me. And just driving past liquor stores at the beginning, I was like, Ugh, I used to go there on Wednesdays and that one I'd go to on Fridays. And it's just so um, universal is the word I'm thinking of. It's everywhere. And so I always tell people to have another person who's in the same boat. So find another person person who may be sober curious or just tell a friend, Hey, I'm trying not to drink or use. Can I call you when I get those feelings? And then just talking through it with someone gets your mind off of it. Mm -hmm. And even just reaching out to a random person, not a random person, but like a family member or a friend that may not be sober curious, but just saying, Hey, how was your day? You know, can I help you with anything? Are you struggling with anything? And then you're trying to help someone else and you're not thinking of your own stuff anymore. So mm-hmm. those help me. I always have someone that I'm prepared to call if I need to and switching the habit. So if you're used to doing something like for me, it was five o'clock every night I would start drinking. And so I would try to be on a walk with the dog or I do some sort of different hobby class or anything at that time so that I wasn't sitting at home looking for booze or ready to go to the liquor store and just having the support around you of you know community is and for me that's other sober people but if you're just looking to quit drinking for a month or something just try to do it with a friend or Mm -hmm. just having accountability is really important yeah totally Um, so my second question is what is something you wished you knew when you were younger? So I wish that I knew that my mom was usually right. And our mom is always right. I tell (laughs) yeah. Of course, now that I'm a mom, I'm like, oh, my three and a half year olds are saying the F word and that's 
probably not right, but <laughs> kids, like, <laughs> um, but my mom, you know, told me to break up with the drug addict boyfriend before it even escalated to me doing drugs every weekend or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's my biggest, I wish I'd listened to her with that, but again, it's my journey, not hers. And that was part of what I needed to learn on my own. So that's a big thing. And then the, it's so hard for, for females. Um, we are really mean to each other when we're younger, like high school girls and all the drama is the worst. And I just wish someone had told me that this is just a little phase and don't take it personally just get through these few years and then you'll be done well there's still some you know women who are my age that are still very dramatic and into that type of thing but yeah for most it's like you'll get through this and then you know because we just take that and internalize it and there's still things from high school that I'm like oh I can't believe that she did that to me you know just like oh yeah that's mm-hmm. bothering me you know I need to know that it didn't even she probably doesn't remember that she did anything to me but for me it's just like in my brain that oh she you know did put like play a joke on me or whatever yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Um, so just knowing that it's like gonna get better and not to like get caught up in the drama yeah and like kind of going back to like you know thinking about things that happened like in your adolescence it's like forgiving yourself, letting mm. it go. And, and it's all part of the process, you know, cause I, it took me a while too to forgive myself for things and, you know, come to realization that like, okay, friends don't want to be friends with me anymore, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it was hard on me through a difficult time and, you know, so yeah, it, it's, it's always a process. Right. Um, And then, so my third question is, what's the essential part of your daily routine? For me, a lot of it has to do with my recovery program, because if I don't work that every day, I will go back to my old habits. Um, So I've already mentioned the gratitude list, the journaling. I do a lot of yoga, working out mindful, just healthy habit type things. Um, But it's really... I mean, I have to go to meetings, um, recovery meetings, and it sounds weird to some people, but I have to put myself first before anyone else. Cause if I don't love myself to my highest capacity, I won't be the best for my family. Mm -hmm. Um, so most people are like, well, shouldn't your kids come first before you? And I, if I don't love myself first, I'm not going to love them the way they should be loved. So I always take a little bit of time for me to make sure that I'm, you know, okay, mentally, physically, emotionally. No, that's, I a hundred percent agree with that because if you can't take care of yourself, there's no way you can take care of kids or your husband or anything else going on in your life. So I think it is really important to do self-care first. And especially, you know, if you know, you have like a vulnerable weak spot, like, and for you to stay strong and like, keep, you know, going to those meetings and like dedicating yourself to sobriety, like that is what's really, that's what's most important to your twins, you know? Right. A hundred percent. I agree. I was just going to say someone at the beginning of my 
sobriety told me spend as much time working your recovery program as you did trying to get wasted or high. And I'm like, Oh, well, I thought about drinking all day, every day. And then at four 30, I would go to the liquor store and then I would drink all night. And then I'd wake up and think about not drinking that day, but then I would. And so it's like, huh, I need to spend a lot of time in this apparently. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's never ending. You're always learning. You always, I, I think, like I said earlier in the episode, like sobriety and like overcoming addiction is probably the hardest thing anyone can do. Um, Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of like willpower and like wanting to, because our minds are so powerful and very habitual. And it's like, like when that five o'clock rolls around, that's when you have your joint or that's when you have your glass of wine, like to change it is really hard because we are creatures of habit as well. So, and some of these, some of these drugs are, they grip us, they grip who we are, even when we don't have it there, there's like body, like, yeah. Um, chemical yeah. Imbalances like sh- yeah. the shakes or feeling sick mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So it's, and the harder the drug, the harder it is. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, So my last question to you is the best advice you've ever received. My grandfather who lived to be 98 and he actually saw me get sober. And when I was pregnant is when he died. So he knew that I was having twins and everything. Um, He always told me to invest in myself. So whether it meant by what I'm doing now with self-care or with, you know, money Um, as long as it was to better myself, he thought it was the best to invest in myself. So with college, he told me he would match whatever I put in. So, you know, I saved my money and knew I'd be paying for some of my college, but that he'd match. And then when I, you know, for certain things throughout my life, you know, buying a house or whatever, he'd invest and you know, do the same type of thing, match whatever we did. And then when I went to rehab, he was like, this is the biggest time to invest in yourself because it'll better you. And, um, he, you know, just this cute old man saying, you know, so are you just drinking too much? You know, what's wrong? And and like trying to understand, cause I was like, I'm just going to a place where I'm going to learn how to live healthier and, better my I didn't want to just be like a notary have grandpa so the next day he called me and was like so is this a place where you're gonna like are you drinking too much is it that kind of place and I was like sobbing like yes um and he was like well that's a good investment so um it was it was cute just seeing you know this 96 year old man trying to understand what I was going through um and then being so supportive about it oh I love that yeah That's so cute. So do you have any last words before we say goodbye today? I just love telling everyone that if you are struggling or if you have questions, just ask for help. Um, It is the hardest thing. And especially if you're going through, if you're in the thick of it, just for me, the actual words coming out of my mouth were what I needed to finally get to where I was ready to get help. And, you know, I'd been internally telling myself for years, but I never admitted it for real. So 
ask for help if you're struggling, ask for help if you have questions. And, you know, there's people like me that are here for you and there's tons of resources. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show today, Ellen. It was such an honor to have you on and tell your story. All of Ellen's information is down below in the show notes. So don't be shy, go say hi. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Not Your Mama's Podcast. And I hope to see you in the next one. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Not Your Mama's Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you in the next one.